We are going to be continuing in our series uh, today called Thriving in Exile. Thriving in Exile is our series. And what we've been talking about is how do we uh, remain faithful to God when our culture doesn't necessarily hold that value? How do we continue to worship and honor God with our lives and in so doing, thriving spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically? How, do we, how, do we con- how can we continue to thrive even while we might be not in our home country yet of the kingdom of God in our own little exile? And so we've been studying the book of Daniel, who uh, Daniel was in exile. He grew up in the uh, city of Jerusalem, and then, um, and then after that, he uh, uh, was taken away to the city of Babylon where he uh, raised up. I realized that I forgot something, um, and that is we just got to dismiss kids uh, for Ignite Kids. So, kids, if you want to head out to Ignite Kids, you can do that. My fault. Um, and, and what we're seeing, uh, back to the, the thing that we're going to do, uh, uh, preaching, that's, that's the, the sermon, that's what it is. Um, as we open God's word, um, we're seeing how in the middle of all of this, how we're going to thrive is, is, is God has given Daniel, um, it's given him wisdom. Daniel has trusted God. He's taken steps of courage, him and his friends. And above all, it's taking humility. Humility, this idea of, of, of recognizing who God is and recognizing ourselves in light of who God is. And so a false humility is saying that you're, you're awful and nothing, you, know, you have nothing to offer. A true humility says, I may have these gifts and talents and abilities, but they are all from God. And so recognizing God in the middle of all of this, taking God to the equation of all of it, um, is what we see about people who are really, truly humble Which leads me to this point today, and that is this. We are only as healthy as we are humble. We are only as healthy as we are humble. If we humble ourselves before the Lord, it is then that we will thrive spiritually. Um, it's then that we thrive emotionally, physically, mentally. When we are humble, uh, when we recognize who God is, we can trust him in the middle of it and give credit to him for all that he deserves. It's in those moments that we can really truly be healthy. And what we saw in Daniel over and over again, uh, what we've seen so far is that they're always giving credit to God. God's the one who interprets the dreams. God's the one who saves them from the fire. God's the one who brought them to these places. God's the one who gives them wisdom. And they're a humble people. And what we're going to see today is that we're going to see um, something different today, and we're going to talk about King Nebuchadnezzar um, as really our highlight. And what's amazing in this is that in the book of Daniel, there it's narrative, and so there's lots of verses, kind of, it, it reads different than maybe some other sections of scripture. It's a different uh, way of writing. And so it's a narrative, and so there's lots of scripture, but this one today, interestingly enough, is written from Nebuchadnezzar's perspective. The king actually writes in this letter. And so King Nebuchadnezzar is going to be talking to us today um, through his writing. And so we're going to learn from him and we're going to learn about humility um, in the middle of this, which is going to be kind of interesting considering what we know about King Nebuchadnezzar up to this point. So we're going to be in Daniel 4 and we're going to start in verse 1. And uh, here we go. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. 
This is King Nebuchadnezzar talking, which is really an interesting introduction because it is radically different than how we've seen Nebuchadnezzar act up to this point. Even last week when we saw that, that Daniel, Daniel's three friends were saved from the fire, right? Nebuchadnezzar's like, that's awesome. Anybody talks against your God, I'm going to rip them limb from limb and burn their house to the ground. Like, that's kind of Nebuchadnezzar's M.O., like with anything. Like, I'm going to do this, and if you do opposite, I'm going to rip you limb from limb, and I'm going to lay your house in ruins. And so even when he had that, that encounter with God, he was still very much like, I'm going to rip everybody apart, it's going to be awesome. And today we see something radically different. We see the king saying, hey, all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell on the earth, I want, you, I want peace to be multiplied to you. And it seemed good to me to show you the signs and wonders that God has done for me. His signs are great. His, his might is wonderful. His kingdom lasts forever. And his dominion, his rule and his reign is from generation to generation this is, a, this is a, a, a major departure from Nebuchadnezzar. This is, a, this is a language of a very humble person. Someone that he wants the nations to be blessed and peace to be upon them. And that he wants to tell them about God and how great and wonderful God is. And so we're going to see what happened, what, what, what changed in Nebuchadnezzar's life that he would lead off this way with us. And what we're going to see today is what changed might not be something that you would expect, but really what it is is the king is utterly humiliated by God. God brings total humiliation to King Nebuchadnezzar, and that was the catalyst to his life transformation. Verse 4, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I just love that. Can you just get a mental picture of that? Ease in my house, prospering in my palace, drinking a Arnold Palmer, right? Just hanging out. Got your iced tea, lemonade half mix. That's awesome. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last, Daniel came in before me, whose name is Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, in whom the spirit of the holy, is the holy gods. And I told, him in, I told him the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery is too difficult for you. Tell me the vision of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. The vision of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong and its top reached the heavens. And it was visible to the ends of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant and it, in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it. The birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all the flesh was fed from it. I saw in the vision of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and lop off its branches. Strip of its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beast flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth 
bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets it over the lowliest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, O Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation, because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. So that's the stage. Nebuchadnezzar prospering, hanging out, leisurely in his palace, suddenly gets a dream that makes him afraid and alarms him. And the dream is that of a tree. By the way, I think Nebuchadnezzar has just some wild dreams. Like, this is his second one, and both of them like, I have never dreamt those dreams before. He had a dream of a tree, and the tree grew large, grew up to heaven. Everybody could see the tree. It, it was shelter for the animals. It was, it was a home for the birds. Um, the fruit fed people. It was this great and wonderful tree, and it was it was prospering, and it was doing this amazing thing. And then a holy one, a watcher from heaven, and an angel came down and said, chop down the tree, strip its branches, lay it bare. Leave the stump, bind it with, a, with iron and bronze, and, and uh, this stump will remain, but it's going to be given the mind of a beast instead of the mind of a man. And let dew fall on it. Um, and this is so that the living may know the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets it over the lowliest of men. He looks at Daniel and goes, isn't that a funny dream? So what does it mean? <laughs> what does the dream mean? That this is a decree from God that the living may know and that lesser kingdoms are put in place and brought down by God. That's kind of a funny dream. So, so what's the deal? What's it? What do you think? Verse 19. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong, so that its top reached the heavens, and it's visible to the ends of the whole earth, who, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in which was food for all, under which beasts of the field found shade, and in those branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven, and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, come down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field, and let, the, let him be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven periods of time have passed over him. This is the interpretation. O king, it is a decree of the Most High which has come upon my Lord the king 
that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And it is commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree. Your kingdom shall be confirmed for you by the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may be perhaps a lengthening of your prosperity." Nebuchadnezzar tells Daniel the dream, whose name is Belteshazzar, that's his Babylonian name. And he goes, funny dream, what do you think? And Daniel looks troubled. Daniel looks afraid. Daniel looks really disturbed by what he just heard. Not, oh, that's kind of weird, but like, oh man, there's a whole bunch of bad news that I now have to deliver. Have you ever had that moment where you had to deliver some bad news? Like really bad news? like the death of a loved one or a breakup or the loss of a job or whatever it might be. Have you ever had to be the messenger to deliver terrible, terrible news? That's where Daniel sits right now and he's kind of sick to his stomach. Nebuchadnezzar's like, hey, don't worry. It's not like I'm going to cut off your head for it. And he's like, but you could. Um, He says, don't be troubled. Don't be troubled. Just tell me what you see. And he goes, I really wish this was for your enemies. But the reality is this, is that you've grown great and mighty and powerful, but God is going to bring you low. God is going to humiliate you. You are going to be driven uh, into the wilderness. You're going to eat grass like a cow, right? And you're just going to sit around and you're going to do this. You're going to live outside for seven periods of time. Now, seven periods of time is a vague term. It actually, the translation really is seven periods of time, but often it is refu- referred to as up to a year. Okay, so we're talking about the possibility of seven years of being driven mad and being out in the wilderness and eating grass like an ox and having everything stripped away. It says, this is the This is so that you will know, King, that the Most High rules, that God is the God of heaven and earth, that that what you're seeing is a matter of pride and arrogance. It's hard to tell somebody they're arrogant. Because when you tell somebody, if someone's arrogant and you tell them, hey, I think you're arrogant, they would be like, no, I'm just better. Right? Like, that's like, I'm not being arrogant, I just know it's true. Like, that's, that's what's really hard with arrogant people. And in those moments, he's like, okay, here's what's going to happen, king. You're going to be humbled. You're going to be humbled until you recognize where your authority, where your power, where all these things have come from. And it's not from you. Then Daniel does something pretty amazing. He takes the moment he seizes the opportunity. He's, he's gained respect with the king. He's proven his worth over and over again. He's sought the king's good. And in this moment, he does something that was not asked of him. He does more than just interpret the dream. He gives the king advice in this moment. And he says, king, here's the deal. Please let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness 
and show mercy to the oppressed. It's interesting. He says, he says, King, you have a lot of sin in your life. You have conquered many lands. You have brought many people in. You have made them slaves. You've added them to your harem. You've tortured people. You've killed people. You've laid cities in ruins. You continue to act out in your sin. And Daniel's been his servant the whole way, just helping him, guiding him, and doing those kinds of things. And yet Nebuchadnezzar still goes off the rails. And he says, please, king, I plead with you, break off your sins, repent, Turn away from your wickedness, turn away from what you're doing, and, and, and follow righteousness. Follow the God of the Bible, and, and show mercy to the oppressed. Those people that you're oppressing, that you're just using right now for your own personal gain, show them mercy because you're crushing them. And maybe, just maybe, if you do those things, perhaps there will be a lengthening to your prosperity. That's a bold statement to say to a king. The man who could have you killed just like that, he says, but I'm gonna take this moment. Daniel's been a servant. Daniel's been humble. Daniel's been all these things. He has wisdom. And in this moment, he takes this opportunity because he knows this is his moment to rebuke the king and, and call for his repentance, call for his change. Now, here's, here's what's incredible about this. I think that the king listened in the verses to show, I'll show you why. But I think that the king listened. But I think he listened by doing things different, but there was no heart change. See, there's a difference between having your heart transformed by Jesus, and there's a difference between behavior modification. You ever done anything just because you knew that, like, you had to? Like, do you ever comply with anything, but you don't see the value in it? You, you might have it with your parents, you might have it with, with, um, with your boss, you might have it like, I'm going to jump through this hoop and I'm going to do this thing, but I don't care. I just want to do, I want to do my time and I'm going to be done, right? Or we go, oh, you know, that's a really good idea. I should totally humble myself. I should, no, I'm really going to do that. I'm really going to do that. I'm really going to do that. Like, there was a time when, um, when it came to me, it was brought to my attention about my health and that I needed to start exercising more. And I thought, hey, a great way to lose weight is by wearing black because um, it's slimming. Um, but it really wasn't a value until I, you know what I mean? Like, there comes a moment where you're just like complying with things and then it becomes a value. Like, oh man, my health really matters, right? So there's these things like he's like, oh, I'm gonna humble myself because, you know, that's the right thing to do. I should totally do that. And the reason why I say that is because what we see in verse 28 and 29 uh, and the next verse is what says this. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. So this would come true. But at the end of 12 months, which I think is interesting. I think it's interesting that it took a year. I think that there may have been time there where Nebuchadnezzar heard Daniel and was like, hey, you know what? I should probably do something right. That, that sounds like a good idea. And he's never steered me wrong, so yeah, let's do that. And if I don't do that, I'm gonna have my torn limb from limb. No, just kidding, he doesn't do that to himself. But he says... At the end of 12 months, but here's the thing, if you don't have a heart change, stuff just kind of comes back out. And as God continues to transform our hearts, he's continuing to draw stuff out. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, and the king answered and said, is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty? 
If I'm talking to myself, that's how loud I'm talking. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men. And your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers, and his nails were like bird's claws." It starts with arrogance. As he's walking across the king's palace, his own palace, he looks out on Babylon. As far as he can see, he owns it. As far as I can see, he rules it. As far as he can see, he governs it. And as he's standing on the palace roof, he looks out and says, man, I am awesome. I'm amazing. Look what I've done. Look what I've built. This is me. I'm a self-made man, and this is what I have done. All bow before me. He takes credit for his greatness. He takes credit for what was happening. And what's interesting is that we live in a culture that very much thinks the same way. Like anything we do, it's because we are, you know, self-made men, self-made women. It's because all the things that we've done, right? I just worked hard, I was talented enough, I was good enough, smart enough, people like me, you know, like that whole thing. Like, it was all about me. And what's interesting is that uh, uh, a few years ago, there was a guy named Malcolm Gladwell who wrote a book called Outliers, and he talks about how our success is just as much about our circumstances as it is about us, or maybe even more so. And he says, we're not as self-made successful as we like to think ourselves to be. And one of the case studies he does is is NHL hockey players. And now 75-ish percent of of NHL players are Canadian, okay? So Canadian-born players make up about three-quarters of the NHL. And here's what's really amazing. The vast majority of NHL players are born in the months of January, February, and March, Isn't that interesting? And they found out the reason why that's true. The reason why that's true is because in Canada, um, when you're younger, when you're like six or five or two or in the womb and you're playing hockey, like it is um, one of those things where the age cutoff is January 1st. That's when you start the new age bracket for what class you're going to be in. And so if you're five years old, six years old, and you were born in January or you were born in November, if you know six-year-olds that are like 10 months apart, 11 months apart, there's a big difference. There's a huge difference in the development of a six-year-old who's 11 months older than their counterpart. And so what it looks like when you go and skate, it looks like you're bigger, stronger, and faster and more talented. And so what they do is like, you're bigger, stronger, faster, more, pal- more talented, we're going to give you more coaching, we're going to give you more ice time, we're going to give you more opportunities to hone your skills at six. Now, as you bring that out to the time when they're 18, a lot of those younger kids have dropped off because they've just, you know, they couldn't cut it or they had other interests or whatever. But these, these ones who were born at the beginning of their year continue to get more coaching, more development, more opportunities to become 
who they are. They've, they've had so much porn into them, all because of the month they were born in. If we think about that, like how radically that changes how we think about our own success, the month of, the, of their birth has just as much bearing, if not more so, than their talents. If the month of our birth can do that to us, how much more the God who gives us our birth date and sets us up to do what he's called us to do? Nebuchadnezzar thought this was all about himself and how amazing he was. And he's driven out. One of the most powerful kings the world has ever known, and maybe the most powerful king at the time, is now walking on his hands and knees and eating grass, pulling it out with his teeth like an ox, just eating grass. Can't stop. Can't stop, won't stop. Hair getting long, like an eagle feather. You ever seen an eagle feather? Right? It's getting long nails, not just fingernails, but toenails. His toenails are getting long and nasty, right? He's walking around and he's, he's, he's got dew on him every day because he sleeps outside. There's no shelter. He sleeps in the grass and he gets up and then he eats the grass and he can't stop doing this. For seven periods of time, up to seven years, almost a decade, this is how the king lives because of his arrogance. This is how the king lives because of his arrogance, Once the most powerful man in the world living like an animal. Verse 34. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the hosts of heavens and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can say to his hand or say to him, what have you done? What ends Nebuchadnezzar's humiliation? He lifts his eyes to heaven. This is more than just he looked up at the sky, okay? He recognizes who God is in this moment, has an encounter with God saying, you are more powerful than me. And in that instant, his reason returns to him and he stops eating grass. In that moment, he's clear of thought and in his clear thinking, he immediately offers praise to God. He is sufficiently humbled. He's, he's, he's seen what happened? And he has humility now. He went from being humiliated to being humble. The scriptures say in the, in the Proverbs that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of understanding. That we don't rightly see the world until we have a proper respect for God. So when we sing songs like How Great Thou Art, we're singing the fact that we're recognizing that God is bigger than us and God is greater than us. And by rightly seeing and respecting God, it's that, only through that lens that we can rightly see the world. And he praises God for it. Verse 36. At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom. And still more greatness 
was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right and all his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. That's awesome. I love that this warning at the end, right? He's like, and those who walk in pride, he's able to humble. King Nebuchadnezzar knows this. What I think is really amazing, too, is it says when he humbled himself, he was restored. His friends came back, right? They're like, hey, Nebuchadnezzar, cut his toenails. We can hang out again. It's awesome. You want to order a pizza? Yes, I'm tired of grass, right? Like that, like, great moment, right? And, and everybody's, everybody's back at him, and he, 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 greatness is added to him, and he's still praising God in this. And this is what's really interesting. Verse 37 says, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right and all his ways are just. All his works are right and his ways are just. Nebuchadnezzar says this, it was right of God to do to me what he did. His way was right in, in bringing humiliation upon me for almost a decade. He was right in doing that. And his ways are just, meaning Nebuchadnezzar realizes like this, and it wasn't excessive punishment. It was a discipline that came to me. It was, it was a judgment upon me, and it was right, and it was good, and it was exactly what it needed to be. It was measured out in which the wise king of the universe could only do. That's an amazing truth. Because so often I think we put ourselves, as we read the scriptures, and there's times when the scriptures challenge me. And I read it and I'm like, ooh, okay, um, that's difficult for me to hear. How do, we walk, how do we walk through this? How do we work through this? And in that moment, I have a decision to make. Am I going to stand on the Bible like I'm its authority and it's under me? Or am I going to recognize it as God's word and come under it because these are the words of God? And God himself has decreed this. I have that choice. We always have that moment. Like, what am I going to do with this? And what Nebuchadnezzar tells us in this moment says, all his ways are just and all his ways are right. God can be trusted and even his judgment is good and right. So some things I want to take out of this, some, some things as I've been thinking about in this is this. Um, one, we're only as healthy as we are humble. As a church, guys, God's done some amazing things in this building and in this place and amongst this people, but we have to understand God does that. God does that. God does the work. It is his credit, and we are not going to touch his credit. Credit goes all to him. This is a work of God of which we are grateful for. Two, there's no one too powerful that God cannot humble. This was one of the most powerful men the world has ever known, and God brought him low with a decree of his mouth. So if we think ourselves more highly than we ought to think, we need to understand that we are not above God's reach or out of God's reach to be able to sufficiently humble us. But here's something else amazing. No one is beyond the redemptive power of God. No one. You know what I love about the king's dream is that when they chopped down the tree, the stump remained. 
there was still life there. Yes, God humbled him. Yes, the tree was cut down. Yes, there was a lot of things that were stripped away. But there was still life there. And when Nebuchadnezzar humbled himself, that tree grew again. Even a more splendor than the first one. Isn't that incredible? That like we think if, if you've been in that place where you, you've thought much of yourself and God humbled you, you're still here, which means God still has work for you. And he's not giving up on you. And there's still life there and opportunity. And so all is not lost. No one is beyond the redemptive power of God. And sometimes being humbled by God is a gift, actually all times. Nebuchadnezzar thanks God for it. He says, I thank you for doing that for, to me. Have you, ever, you ever had those moments when you've been humbled? You ever had that moment where maybe you lost a job or maybe like something happened and you were humiliated and a couple years later you look back on that time and you go, I wouldn't wish that time on my worst enemy, but at the same time I wouldn't change it because of what it taught me. Now I don't want to go through it again, but I wouldn't change it because God taught me so much. That's God works in our failure. And God can do a mighty work in all of us if we would just humble ourselves and look and cast our eyes upon him and let him do that work. Let's pray.